0: Welcome to the Alem Talks podcast, where we bring leaders together to talk about Black life, Black leadership, Black learning, and Black lifestyle. We are your ultimate lunch break. Welcome back, y'all. We are back. I told you we'd come back. So we have another juicy episode, a little snack for you while you're at work. B is for Black owned business. And we have the one, the only, the mayor of Podcast Town, Elsie Flannard. So, Elsie, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Where did the idea come from? We want to know.
1: So, a little bit about me I grew up in a very, very small town. And when I say small, I mean no stoplights. Wow. One grocery store.
0: Okay. And
1: one gas station. (laughs) Did you grow
0: up in the country? (laughs)
1: I did. Everybody (laughs) knew everybody. You literally waved at people multiple times throughout the day. Okay. That town. And I was one of those kids. I was a good kid, very athletic, into school, did my homework, that type of thing. But I didn't think that I was smart enough to go to college. Really? Didn't have anybody in my life that was telling me that I was. Okay. Didn't know anybody who had gone to college until my sister did. And I'll never forget, there was a moment when I was 17 years old, and everybody's picking colleges or going to the military, and I was just going to go to the military because I didn't think there was anything else I could do. And I'm having a conversation with the Army recruiter. I'll never forget. He was around my height. Why that detail sticks out, <laughs> right. I don't know. But we're having a conversation and my sister was in the army at the time and okay. she would call back home and impart wisdom and right. give me encouragement, that type of thing. And we had a couple of conversations and i shared with her, hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing with my life because I knew I needed to do something. Yeah. Because my mom was huge on education and she didn't want me to be one of those people who stood on the corner all day. <laughs> right. And so I told him, I said, I think instead of going to the military, I think I want to go to college. And I'll never forget, he looked me right in the eye. Maybe that's why I remember how tall he was. Because he looked me right in the eye and he told me, you can't afford it. You'll never do it. What? And it was in that moment that something shifted in me. And I remember thinking to myself, not only am I going to (laughs) go, but I'm going to go to the college of my choosing and I'm going to kill it. And from that point on... I've always been the dreamer, the one who has these grandiose ideas and things that I will do, not right. might do, yes. but will do. And so I did. I went to college for electronics, graduated. The, it was a technical program at the time Okay, because I don't like humanities, the socials and the writing mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. my plan was I was going to avoid those things. <laughs> so I went to the tech school and it' grueling test every week, every eight weeks, every semester. So you really knew your stuff when you graduated. Right. And then 9-11 happened.
0: I remember that. And
1: nobody was getting jobs anywhere.
0: Oh, so that's around the time you graduated.
1: Around the time I graduated. Okay,
0: I was just starting.
1: Yes. So I'm dating myself a little bit if you're good at math. But my sister, who I mentioned earlier, was in college at the time. She had finished her career in the military, and she was going to Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. Okay. And her husband was attending as well, and so was my wife. And so now here I am with this two-year fantastic degree, nobody's hiring, what am I going to do? And so they all encouraged me to go back to school and get a bachelor's degree. And so long story short, that's what I did. I went back to school, got a bachelor's degree, and graduated from there, landed in Wisconsin for work right after that, and I always teach people we've been stuck here ever since.
0: <laughs> I feel like I have so many questions. A, all of y'all were married in college? Yes. Wow, okay. And then B, what is it with counselors telling Black kids what they can and cannot do? I was told the same thing. I was told, even though I was smart, I had great grades. I think I graduated magna cum laude from high school. They were like, you can't go to college. You can't afford it. What is up with that?
1: I think... A lot of times we project our deficiencies on other people. When I was starting my business, people would say things like, they're not going to let you do that. Really? So I think what happens is we sometimes project our failures and shortcomings on other people. And I think that was the case. Maybe he wanted to do it and he couldn't. And again, it just created this thing in me. I don't even know what you call it. Some people call it crazy,
0: listen. but it
1: created that crazy in me where today, I mean, if I want to build a rocket ship and fly to Mars, I actually think that it can happen. Like, I really, truly believe in myself and the crazy ideas that come.
0: Yes, I'm going to call it the revolution and say that it's going to be recorded since we're at Podcast Town. So, you're a Black man in podcasting. I mean... (sighs) Are there like a lot of y'all in podcasting who are Black doing the thing?
1: I think more now. Okay. When I first started in 2015, 2016, not as much. And it's still a medium that is predominantly non-Black. Okay. But I think it's changing. And that's one of the things that really is at the heart of my passion and vision. The podcast on our vision is to create a town where every voice is heard not just some voices, not just the big boys, but every voice, because every voice has something powerful to say and everybody has something to add to the conversation. And so part of my work is making sure that we change that and letting people know that, hey, your voice doesn't have to be big. It just has to be real.
0: Ooh, love that. Okay. So I have another question, right? Because you are a Black man in podcasting. There's more now, but there's not very many of y'all. So What gave you the idea to basically fly to Mars and start a podcasting firm?
1: Well, it kind of happened on accident. I didn't set out because I've run uh, several different businesses over the years. Mm -hmm. So I never set out to say, "Okay, I'm going to start this big podcast company. Okay. When I was in corporate, I hated it. For lack of a better term, I always (laughs) knew two things. I always knew I wanted a family because I didn't have that growing up. So I knew I wanted to do that. I knew what not to do.
0: Listen, right.
1: (laughs) So I knew I wanted a family and education was important to my mom. So I knew I had to do that. And I knew I wanted to start my own business. And so my plan was, in my 13, 14 year old mind was, okay, I need to find a a lady that will marry me. (laughs)
0: At 13? She's
1: not going to do that if I don't have a job. (laughs) And in order to have a decent job, I need to go to college. But the second, I mean, the second, I have the opportunity to quit that job and do my own thing. I'm out. So that right. was my plan. So I'm happy to report that the plan worked.
0: Yes, it for took the plan working. a little bit longer
1: than I anticipated, <laughs> but here we are. Right. And so I wanted to learn business. Okay. I had run a part-time business for the majority of my corporate career, mm-hmm. 15 years or so. And so I'm burning the candle at both ends and I'm not getting anywhere. And so I really had to get honest with myself and say, okay, what is the missing link? What is the thing that I need to do to get me over this hump? Because I hate it here, and this is (laughs) not going to work for me long term. And what I came up with was I didn't know enough about business. And I had to figure out, how am I going to learn business? I don't want to go to school to learn business from people who are teaching it from a book, right? I wanted to learn from people who were actually running businesses. So I said, okay, I'm going to start this internet radio station. I'm going to start a show called Enterprise Now, and I'm going to reach out to these people, have them on my show, ask them questions, shut up, and learn from them. Smart. So that's what I did. I started Enterprise Now, and the vision was I was going to have this internet station. I'm going to have 100 other business podcasts or shows on the station, and I'm going to learn business not only from my show, but from these other shows. And what happened was I ran across the podcast, and I fell in love with it. And I started doing research on where the medium was and where it was going. And I said, I think podcasting is going to be a thing. And so I you shut down the right. station and focused on my podcast and really getting good at active listening, taking notes and learning. And one of the things that to this day has been the most powerful piece of that was after every conversation, I would ask people, if you were me, what would you do or what would you be doing? And one day somebody said, Elsie, I really like this platform. You're a great listener. I would help people start a podcast. And I said, huh, that's a great idea. I think that's what I'll do. And so we added that into our service offering. And then they would come back and say, well, we launched the podcast, but man, it's a lot of work. Every week, you got to do the stuff. And so we started doing the management and the facilitation of guests and booking and prep and all of that for clients. And then they come back and say, well, man, how do you promote this thing? How do you get the word out? So we added that into our repertoire. And then they came back and said, okay, we've launched, we're managing it, we're getting the word out, but how in the world do you turn these listeners into paying customers? And so we added that to our repertoire. And so we became this full-service agency that can handle podcasts from launch all the way to lead generation.
0: Dope. Wow. Okay. Well, I feel like I have a million more (laughs) questions. So this idea that you would interview all of these people to learn how to be a really competent, capable Black businessman, what are some of the things you learned interviewing all of those people and digesting all of that information for all the other shows that you were supporting?
1: That is a loaded question. So I took the notes in my notepad and I keep them, still have them to this day. It's about this thick. Wow. So to boil it down, I think the common theme is being willing to take the risk, being brave enough to fail and understanding how to learn from those failures and how to grow from those failures. Because some people fail and they don't learn from it. They don't grow from it. They allow it to defeat them and they give up persistence. It's not always about who's the smartest. It's not always even about who has the best idea. It's about the person who is just still around.
0: So you're being consistent. If you
1: survive? <laughs> yes. Like if 2020 taught us anything,
0: that's
1: if you survive and you're there, <laughs> <laughs>
0: right? You're alive.
1: You are 80% of the way there, right? Right. So I think again paying attention and listening I think our key skill sets as well, every successful person that you will meet are really, really good listeners. Even if they're short listeners, oftentimes they can pull out things very quickly. And that's because they've mastered the skill of listening and hearing what people say that they aren't saying. One of the key concepts is, again, just being courageous and unafraid. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a book that I read to my son called Pizza Cat. Now, Pete the Cat is eternally positive. No matter what happened to Pete the Cat in this book, he (laughs) was happy and he made a song about it. Okay. And this one was about his shoes. So the book starts off with, he has on blue shoes. And then he steps in a puddle of mud. And then he says, oh no. And then he makes a song about how happy he is that he stepped in the mud. Right? And so I said, the concepts in this book apply to business people. I wonder who wrote this book and if they will be on my podcast.
0: What? Okay. And
1: so I look at the author, I look him up, and I reach out to his people. He has people. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And I get a response. He's like, I'd love to come on your podcast. Okay. And I had him on my podcast. Now, my son didn't think it was all that cool, but maybe one day he will. But (laughs) just the thought that it's possible. Mm. Even when it doesn't seem possible, it's possible. I love it. Successful entrepreneurs have that it factor where they believe it's possible.
0: I love that audacity. You're like, so my son likes the book. I like the book. Let me call the author and see what's up. I feel like we absolutely need way more of that, right? Like the idea comes across. And I think we do this thing, even as business owners, where we just shut it down. Like, how dare you? I don't even know where that comes from. But the fact that you would have the thought, explore the thought, then actually take action and then follow through, see it through and do it until the end. I think that that type of forward thinking action, it's absolutely required in business. Otherwise, we are going to be not able to sustain over the long haul, right? If we're going to be thinking too small or be too short sighted. But the other thing that I liked about what you said about listening, if you're going to have longevity in business, is that even if you're not a long listener, if you're a short listener, that can be powerful. Because I was thinking, what about all the people who can't listen for long periods of time because maybe they want to talk or, I don't know, they're tired or they can't focus or whatever. But there's power in knowing that Even if you can't listen for a long time, being able to synthesize and pull things out in shorter spurts can still be powerful and serve you. I love that. So because you had the chance to interview so many people, I'm very curious about this thought I had around being a Black man in business. And there might not be as many Black men in business as there might be men of other races or women in business who are Black. So either from the show or just from your longevity of being in the business space for over 15 years, are there businesses owned by other Black men, big or small, that inspire you or keep you encouraged?
1: Two people, Magic Johnson. Okay. And Damon John.
0: Yes, tell me more.
1: Magic Johnson, because here's a guy who grew up similar to me.
0: Okay. One stoplight and one grocery store?
1: I don't know about that piece, but (laughs) he didn't have the easiest time. Okay. And took a talent, a skill, and leveraged it, brought his God-given personality, just his style, branded it in a way that has turned into this multi-million dollar business enterprise. right? So I think his story stands out to me because it's a testament to being able to be forward-thinking and having the big picture in mind and not always having to be the guy, but being the guy. You don't have to own every table, but understand how the tables work together to benefit you in the long run.
0: Okay. Huh. I like it. Yeah. Being able to have sort of like in the context of business, this enterprise wide perspective, how do all these systems work together and what can I bring and how can I benefit? Exactly. But that definitely requires vision and forward thinking and working those two things together. Okay. So who's the other inspiration?
1: Damon John, because he started from nothing. Right from literally nothing. And he persevered. We talked about earlier, just surviving.
0: Listen, (laughs) if you can survive though.
1: I mean, look at him now. And he does so much to give back to other entrepreneurs. Yes, Yes, he does. And one of my big sayings is changing lives through enterprise. Because when you are able to influence and shift somebody's mindset, you set them up for success.
0: And the thing is,
1: is not only them but their family and their family. So it has a ripple effect. And so I'm so appreciative of him because he doesn't have to do it. He could take his business ventures and not give back to anybody, but he chooses to do otherwise. And so I'm inspired by that, his heart to just give back to other entrepreneurs and to make sure that he's taking the things that he's learned and passing those on.
0: So when I think about the two men who really inspire you, so Damon John basically started from zero and magic johnson had a rough time and he figured out a way to essentially transcend that right so when i think about either business owner that you just shared about or any business owner in general it's not always going to be like roses and rainbows all along the way i think that when we're following people that we're inspired by or folks that we admire it sometimes can look like it was an easy path like dang, he just knew, like he just had all his ducks in a row. He was ready. But I think as we peel back the layers, do a little bit more digging, we'll see that with anybody who owns a business, and like you said, and then they survive, there's barriers, setbacks, challenges, obstacles all along the way. And so when I think about you seeing some of yourself in Magic Johnson and him not having the easiest time growing up, And you not having the easiest time. Sometimes as business owners, we don't always have the easiest time. So have you ever faced challenges in business where you're like, yo, what is happening?
1: For me, the biggest challenge is if you think about the number one thing that causes someone to want to do business with you is they like you, they trust you, and they know who you are. Yep. From a cultural perspective, if you're not in the room, invited to the room, or even know where the room is, (laughs) it's very difficult for people to like know and trust you.
0: Right. Can I get a GPS (laughs) notification? Can you (laughs) ping me in? I mean, what are we doing? Invite me.
1: Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing. From a cultural perspective, some people have inherently those three things already. Yeah, They already know where the room is because their dad owns the room. (laughs) Listen. (laughs) Or their uncle or somebody they know owns the room. They know who's in the room because they're at the family barbecue.
0: Yes, they are. And
1: they already like them because they're in that culture. They
0: grew up together. They grew
1: up together. (laughs) And so that's a very difficult thing to overcome. Yeah. But I think what it does is it teaches you how to network, how to build relationships, and how to use it not as a crutch, but as a stepping stone. And it helps you get better at that aspect of your game. If you think of a sports analogy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I would say that's the biggest hurdle because once people like, know, and trust you, it almost is a secondary issue in terms of what you do. Okay. But I think it's extremely important to put relationship first. And again, allow your natural ability to sort of bridge that gap. But the cultural challenges has been the biggest hurdle.
0: Yeah, and I think those cultural challenges are real. And to me, it almost seems like Black men in business would face more challenges than other people in business. And so if that's true, in your opinion or your experience or your research, are there other things that get in the way for Black men other than that connection and relationship building piece?
1: Yeah, this is only an hour-long podcast, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> access to resources. Okay. Access to education, mm. which is why our values, is one of them is to educate. Yes. Because if you don't know what a customer relationship management tool is, it's really hard to use one.
0: Right. You won't even get one.
1: You won't even get one because what it even is is a CRM, right? Yeah. So I think education is a huge hurdle, which, again, goes back to the cultural piece. You don't have somebody in your life who either owns a business or knows somebody who owns a business. You don't even know what you don't know.
0: That like, right? I didn't
1: know that I needed to register an LLC. What's an LLC? What is customer service? Like, what is the service based business? What is value based pricing? I no clue. So I think education is a huge, huge hurdle. Financing resources.
0: Yes, access to capital.
1: You know how big Podcast Town would be if I had free labor. Right. It'd be huge. It'd be huge. And if I had hundreds of years of free labor, I could pass it on to my children and their children and their children. So I think access to resources, access to capital and education, and I think perception. When you look at the media, whether it's TV, Facebook, social, Black men aren't always painted in the best light.
0: Okay. Yep.
1: Right. And so we talked about like, no trust. Okay. So if every time I turn on the news, the TV, I see you in this light, when we're setting up a one on one meeting or when I see you in the boardroom, that plays a role. Yeah. That plays a role. So I think the perception is definitely something that we have to do better at changing. We have to change the narrative around how Black men are represented in media.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That just reminds me of just the implicit association test where we have biases and we don't even know we're biased, right? Because there will be people saying like, no, I like everybody or I have Black friends or whatever they might be saying. But I think that when you know or find out that you're resistant, especially when it comes to Black men, you need to over inundate yourself and watch things that have lots of Black men in it, watch the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, watch whatever, so that you can get that exposure to help you combat whatever it was that you were thinking, because I do absolutely think there are so many negative stereotypes and those things play a role because people are having to actively counteract those stereotypes. And it's basically like whistling Vivaldi. And so if you're walking down the street and you're a black man whistling Vivaldi, it's like, huh, okay, I guess he's a little bit more like me than I thought. And that's just not what I expected. Maybe I don't have to clutch my pearls in my bag. But I think that those challenges would absolutely make people nervous about starting a business because I don't know where the room is. I don't know anybody in that room. And I know they have all these adverse or negative perceptions about me that I'm going to have to overcome to get them to even like me, let alone get to know me and trust me so that I can be able to generate income that could then set my family on a path that we previously weren't on and then their family and their family and so on and so forth. And so I think that To me, it just takes incredible courage as a Black man in the United States to say, hey, I'm going to start a business because most Black-owned businesses are solo owned, right? There's not like a ton of employees. And then there's a smaller percentage where people have two to five employees and then a smaller percentage where people have six to 10. But if you're doing it by yourself, it just seems like it would be really isolating. So if it is isolating, how do you stay encouraged?
1: Wow, there's a lot in there. I would say, kind of going back to your earlier point, you have to be yourself. Okay. And I think in order to be yourself, you have to know who you are.
0: Mm, Self-awareness. It's the start of leadership.
1: Yes. And when I was growing up, my biological dad, I can count on one hand how many times he called and wished me a happy birthday or anything. And what that does is that leaves a void or a gap In your self-identity. It's like, well, who am I? And so I think, again, the first step is taking pieces of those men that are in your life that you like. Yeah. For example, I looked at Malcolm X. I looked at Martin. I looked at all these sort of figures and I said, okay, they always dress sharp. They're articulate. I like their swag. Some people call it flavor, whatever you want to call it. And I took those elements and I added them to myself and said, okay, Here's the man that I want to be. So I created my room
0: Ooh.
1: versus saying, okay, where is the room?
0: <laughs> right.
1: I don't have access to that room. Okay, great. I will create my own room and I'm proud of my room. Even if it's the smallest room in the building, it's my room. It's 100% my room. You get my big nose, my deep voice. <laughs> that's who I am. I love myself. I love everything about myself, but I think that's a process. Yeah. And I think that you have to develop this thick skin where you understand what you're walking into and you're okay with it because now you have that self confidence. You have the self awareness to know this is who Elsie is. If you like it, awesome. If you don't, that's great too. But you might want to get on board because I'm <laughs> going places. Yes. You have to have that confidence, right? But that comes with doing the work. I'm confident because I put in the work. I didn't just wake up yesterday and say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. No, I put years into my branding and building relationships and adding value to other people. Again, understand that it's fine that those are the other rooms in there, but really think long-term and determine how can those rooms help me long-term? How do I add value wherever I am? And build your own room. You don't have to sit at a table. Build your own table.
0: Mm, So listen, this is the question that no one wants to ask, but I got to ask because it just, as you said about building your own room, making your own table, even if it's a small room. But what do you think about, or do you ever grapple with as a business owner and as a black man, do you ever grapple with hiding the fact that you're black?
1: I used to when I first started. Okay, But I think confidence exists on a spectrum. When I was younger, I was not necessarily self-conscious, but I was more aware, okay, LZ, maybe you should take your voice up an octave. I call it the king perception. Okay. I'm a king.
0: Yes, done and done.
1: Kings have a tendency to intimidate people. I demand excellence in everything I do. That tends to intimidate people who don't. That? (laughs) I had to become okay with that. It's like, not everybody is okay with the fact that you demand excellence in everything you do. Not perfect. I make mistakes. But what you get is the best I got. Not everybody operates that way. And sometimes it intimidates people. When I get on the phone, not everybody appreciates the fact that my voice might be a little bit deeper. You had to be okay with that. And once you get okay with it, then other people by function have to be okay with it. Otherwise, you have to leave my room.
0: Done. Done. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes feeling like you have to hide the fact that you're Black, or maybe you don't put your face on the book that you wrote, or maybe you don't put your face all over your website, it just feels like it's a real thing, because it just seems like it's a catch-22. Like, you put it, and then your people will find you. You put it, and then maybe the other people don't want to work with you.
1: Again, you have to understand what you're dealing with and you have to be okay with it. Like if you look on my website, you'll see me on the website. Like it's clear that I am the mayor of Podcast Town. Some people will look at that and not do business with us. You could look at that and say, man, I missed an opportunity. Or you can look at it as, man, I just saved a ton of time because now I don't have to do a discovery call with them, <laughs> or I don't have to waste my time or theirs. They know who I am, where I stand. I know who they are and where they stand. Okay, they can go into their room. I can continue to build my room. We're good to go. So I think it's all about mindset and your perception and how you choose to see things.
0: Okay, and like just the frame up, and I think that it helps you avoid the pet attacks. Yes, that so you don't have to deal that with. Is that was a
1: very high tax.
0: Oh my God, isn't it though? <laughs> Listen, PETA taxes are real. So, you mentioned about mindset, and I think we've touched on mindset a couple times. So, I think it begs the question what are some important mindset tips for Black entrepreneurs? And, or do you have some specific mindset tips for Black men in business?
1: Yes. So, for me, the biggest thing in terms of mindset is, again, being okay with being a king.
0: Ooh, I hope y'all wrote that down
1: because you're gonna have to make decisions. Three out of ten people are gonna agree; the <laughs> other three are not, and the other three don't care. And then there's that one person who they'll follow either or, right? And you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with it being lonely sometimes. Yeah, because sometimes when you're visionary, people they either don't identify with the vision or they can't see it the way you see it, mm. and that again that's okay. I mean,
0: and there's a reason the vision was given to you and not to them.
1: Yep. And the other big thing is being okay with failure, being okay with punching and being punched.
0: How do we get okay with it though? I feel like we're raised to not fail like and to avoid it at all costs. But I think as business owners, it's just kind of part of the landscape. So as Black people, how do we get comfortable with Failing forward, failing fast, failing cheap, failing smart. How do we do that? Repetition. Just fall on our face repeatedly.
1: I had a mentor tell me once, Elsie, you can study weightlifting. You can (laughs) read all of the books about what breaks down a muscle, right? What builds it back up. But you don't grow stronger until you lift the weight. And it hurts. Growing muscle hurts.
0: It does. If you do it right,
1: right? It's going to hurt. When you get hit in the face, you'll move your head next time.
0: And if you (laughs) don't, you'll
1: get hit in the face again.
0: Look, Mike Tyson said, everyone got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) And when you get hurt enough,
1: you'll say, okay, I should probably put my hand up. I should probably do the work, study footwork, study motion, get my timing down, and then you get hit less. But the crazy thing about it, Dorothy, is you'll still get hit.
0: Yeah, you just
1: get hit differently than you did the first time. <laughs> Listen,
0: if you survive, <laughs> if y'all you survive. If you are alive right now, business owner, B is for Black business owner. <laughs> if you're alive, check done. Like you made it, right? Because I think it's just so easy. It just, I think being an entrepreneur is like riding a roller coaster with no seat belt. In a shopping cart. (laughs) Like, what? I just think it's such a wild ride. And I love your analogy about preparing for this fight because you are going to get hit. You are going to get knocked down. But I do think it's important to have that mindset where you are so relentless, you're absolutely going to get back up, even if you're all muddy, dust everywhere, can't see straight, but you're like, no. I said that I was going to do this. I said that I was going to stand this business up, give it legs, hands and feet and walk it forward, even if I don't have all the answers. But I do think to a point that you made earlier, it requires courage and bravery because you're not always going to know what you're doing. And I think that as Black business owners, that's the challenging part. I just don't think we always know what we're doing, but it's the commitment to falling down repeatedly, getting back up, and hopefully having some friends in business too where you can bounce ideas off of them and ask questions. So when I think about this idea of having friends in business or being able to bounce ideas off of other entrepreneurs, as a business owner, have you done anything intentional outside of interviewing every business owner on the planet Have you done anything intentional to actually develop competence and capacity as a business owner?
1: Yeah. So when I started the podcast, I mentioned that I didn't want to learn from a book. I think two things. Timing is critical. Yeah. There are seasons to everything. There's a season in in your life where it's time to step back and observe. There are seasons in your life where it's time for you to go 100 miles an hour and go for it. Right. So I'm a proponent of both. I think you need an academic skill set as well as the practical. I did both. I went back and got my MBA so that I understand. You
0: did go back to I school. I did.
1: I did. <laughs> but it was the season, right? I had gained some life experience and some business experience, and I knew I had hit a wall. I didn't know how to read a P&L. I didn't know what a marketing strategy was. I didn't know how to do market research. I didn't have a pricing strategy. I just charged enough to get people to pay me, right? (laughs) right. So I think you certainly need both because I think both, they add value to your tool belt. So I learned things in my MBA program that have, in my mind, allowed my company to grow faster and to be more sustainable than if I didn't know those things. So again, Google is your friend, but really thinking about and being honest with yourself about your deficiencies, things you're good at, things you don't know, and filling those gaps. Yeah. Sometimes you need the practical experience. Sometimes you need to study and know how to do your books because that could impact capital. We talked about access when to capital. I
0: say, don't even get me started. So if The
1: bank comes to you and says, well, can you give me your taxes and your P&L? And if you don't know what those are, or if you do know, but they're not accurate. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you're probably not going to get access to that capital. Yeah. Right? What is your debt strategy? Do you have one? What the heck is a debt, <laughs> debt strategy? Right? So I think all of those things from an academic perspective really can help set your business up for success long term. Mm-hmm. But you also need a mix of that practical application as well. Going back to our weightlifting and that analogy, if your form is off, then your muscle is going to look weird. Right. Because you've been doing it wrong the whole time. So you do need to know. And you
0: thought you were doing it right. Exactly.
1: So you do need to know some of the academic stuff, but you really need to be self-aware enough to know when the practical is needed and when the academic is needed. So
0: for me, what I have pulled out of that, you cannot DIY your whole business. And at some point you may have to invest in some things, whether that's investing in, those classes or those accelerators or those master sessions or coaches or something. But we can't, as Black-owned businesses, DIY everything and try to be all the things to our business. At some point, it might be beneficial to outsource so that we can make sure that we get it right so that
1: we're ready. Can I just ask something quick? Yeah. Coaching is probably the most impactful thing that I have ever done in the entire life of my business. Ooh, do tell. Because coaches can see things from a perspective that you cannot see from.
0: When I say, listen, I hope y'all took some notes.
1: And they can identify those gaps. Yes, they can. A really good coach will say, well, Elsie, you should probably take some accounting classes because your books are horrible. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not going to be able to expand your business when you try to get a loan because your books are terrible. So you have two choices. You either outsource it and get somebody who knows what they're doing or you need to learn a little bit more about what you're doing so that you set yourself up for success. Mm -hmm. So I think to your point, coaching is critical.
0: Oh my gosh, absolutely. I think it's an absolute game changer because all you can see is what you can see from your line of sight and your paradigm. Your coach has better vision, plus it's not them. You know what I'm saying? Like when you see yourself, you're like, oh, well, maybe I could do this or finesse it like that. But your coach also is going to keep it real and they're going to be honest and they're going to push you towards your greatness, right? And I, I think that coaching has been particularly impactful for me as well. Oh my gosh. So we're running out of time. I got one last question. This has been awesome. So last question. If you could do it all over again, Is there anything that you would do differently?
1: When people ask me that question, my answer changes.
0: Mine does too. And I'll tell
1: you why. Because I think had I changed anything, I wouldn't be where I am.
0: Okay. However. Like butterfly effect, everything changes as a result. Yeah.
1: However, I think that had I understood that I needed coaching earlier on, I would Mm. be further faster.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I disagree. Coaching has been an absolute game changer. But what I know for sure, a lot of Black business owners don't seek out coaching because they don't know. Just like a lot of Black corporate hustlers, right, in the nine-to-five world don't seek out coaching because we don't know. And so hopefully you can share this with a friend and the impact and importance of coaching regardless of what sphere you live in. Whether you're a business owner, or you work a nine to five, or you're a side hustler. Coaching can be so transformational. And I think just exactly what you said, Elsie, I think it'll get you there faster. It's such a wise investment. And when it comes to ourselves, we should be investing so much in ourselves. Take care of the talent. I think that that's critical. Okay, Elsie. Tell us where we can find you, how we can follow you, how we can stay in touch as we get ready to wrap up this amazing, amazing session.
1: Yep. The easiest way is just to email me, mayor at podcasttown.net or visit us on the web, podcasttown.net.
0: Okay. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back again soon. Remember the requirement. You are required to lead from every seat you sit in. This has been another episode of Alum Talks. Thanks for tuning in. Did you enjoy this episode of Alum Talks? Please share this episode with another incredible Black leader. Rate this episode five stars and follow us on social media. We are on LinkedIn and Facebook as ALAM and Instagram as Alum Milwaukee. Remember that's A-A-L-A-M-I-L-W-A-U-K-E-E. And if you've got questions or a topic recommendation, Email us at info at alammilwaukee.org. Alum, advancing leaders, accelerating change.